here I am trying to process the show and what it means now that it's over, while life goes on around me and no one cares that I just did a show, just that it's over and I can hopefully be back to quote unquote normal. Is bodybuilding about selfies, steroids, magazines, and muscles? How do I become a successful pro bodybuilder or fitness competitor? Where do I even start if I'm new? And the biggest question of all, what are the judges looking for anyway? Even today with the internet, many people first discover bodybuilding by word of mouth. A lack of regulation has caused a boom of unqualified coaches, scattered info, biased advice, dangerous protocols, and posing trends that are a hot mess. After 20 years in the business, I have seen it all. Week after week, I'm gonna talk about taboo topics that get swept under the rug, provide you tips and strategies to gain a competitive edge and stand out on stage in any division or federation. I'm gonna answer all the burning industry questions without the bias. I have competed across six federations, earned pro status in three, and judged in two. I've coached posing and choreography for men and women in all federations and divisions. I know just how much competing means to you. I'm your host, Michelle Welcome, and you are listening to the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. Be sure to download your free guide, Five Things Every Bodybuilder and Fitness Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Show at eeinbb.com. That's www.eeinbb.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast. There's nothing like the feeling, the rush of preparing for a show. In hindsight, it's one of the best, worst decisions you'll ever make. Seeing your body change week after week is motivating and thrilling. Eh, The first four to six weeks, not so much. It's more of a waiting game during this time while the engines are revving. You look at the scale to see a little movement weekly, but no real physical changes just yet. But you know, if you hang in there, eventually you will hit a stride and you will start to see change visually. With bodybuilding, you've got to put in the work 24-7, especially when it comes time to dial in for a show. Work ethic has never been an issue for me. Many might not know this about me, but I was a three-sport athlete growing up and captain of track and field both junior and senior year and also captain of the volleyball team in high school. I had a couple of school records for javelin and discus throws, too. My family was very athletic, and sports was just a part of life. So was being competitive. In the 1940s, my grandfather was recruited for baseball tryouts in New York by what was then called the New York Giants. My grandfather was six foot four and an incredible pitcher. He was from a small town in the middle of the hills of Northwest Connecticut. I have no idea how he got on their radar, but he did. And then there's my dad. He was a high school basketball coach who brought history to a no-name school in the northwest corner of Connecticut with undefeated seasons and state titles. My father was a tough coach. I remember the jerseys he had the boys wear during practice. On the back of the jersey was the words, no excuses. Funny story for you. I remember one of the kids wasn't able to make practice, so he had his mom call my dad to let him know. My dad would not accept that he wasn't able to make the practice until he called my dad to cancel himself. I think my dad was going to make the team do line touches too if he didn't. And if you don't know what line touches are, you guys, just know there are a lot of sprints. 
my dad had zero patience for weakness and no patience for disrespect. If you couldn't make practice, you didn't have mommy call for you. Grow a pair and make the call yourself. And if you weren't on time for practice, everyone ran sprints. The first week of basketball tryouts, it wasn't unheard of for there to be a puker. My dad weeded out the week, and he developed champions. So as you can see, from an early age, I learned about work ethic and, well, winning. My dad was always physically active, too. I can remember, still, I can see him doing sit-ups every night with 10-pound plates. He never knew this until I told him recently, but watching him do the weighted sit-ups was my first inspiration for weightlifting. I was probably like 12 years old when I went down into our basement and found a dusty 20-pound dumbbell and a 10-pound plate. I grabbed one of each, dusted them off, and snuck them up into my bedroom. I started doing things like, I didn't really know what they were called at the time, of course, shoulder presses some tricep extensions, and of course, weighted sit-ups quite frequently. This was my first exposure to the concept of strength building. And it translated into my teenage years with sports like volleyball, for example. I always strived for greatness, and doing the work to make that happen was never an issue. My position on the volleyball team was the setter, so I was the one that pushed the ball up in the air for a teammate to hit, or spike as it's called, over the net. It's one thing to set for someone next to you, but can you set with accuracy for someone across the court? This requires a lot more strength and skill. So I came up with something innovative to build my strength to be a better setter. We had a basketball court at our house with men's basketballs, which, which they're heavier and bigger than women's basketballs, by the way. Any basketball is heavier than a volleyball, so I went and grabbed a men's basketball, and every day in my room I would lie down and practice setting with the basketball over and over to build my hand and finger strength. It worked. And again, doing the work to build a better athlete was never a problem. And by the way, any of you listening who are past posing and choreography clients of mine might not be surprised to hear about the drills I made as a teenager because of the odd drills I've made all of you guys and girls do to get better at posing. You've come to realize that my way of building a proper posing foundation requires you to do things that have absolutely nothing to do with posing, but really have everything to do with posing to make you better. My way of coaching is more about problem solving. It may be unconventional, but I believe if you follow the crowd, you will get no further than the crowd. So back to what I was saying, like I did with my men and women posing clients, as a teenager, I intuitively made up precise drills to solve specific problems so I could get better at whatever sport I was doing. I did the work, and I did it consistently. Then I became a bodybuilder. Dialing in for a bodybuilding show is a patience and consistency game. You can do it faster, but with anything, there is cause and effect. Your body will always want to get back to homeostasis. The slower you go, the longer you give your body to adjust to the changes and create a new normal, so there's less of a fight. The quicker you go, the quicker your body will want to get back to what it thinks is balance, which makes what you do immediately post-show critical. And the harder you go, the more repercussions you will have as your body struggles to find balance both during the show prep process and especially right after. Add in PEDs, as you learned from my interview with IFBB pro Jamie Pinder, there are all kinds of cause and effect that happens while on a cycle and immediately post-show or post-cycle from taking them. Unfortunately, with PEDs, sometimes you can push yourself so far that you can no longer get your body back to homeostasis from a health and hormonal standpoint. This is when things like infertility happen. 
heart and kidney problems, or even a chemical sex change for women. Doing the physical work to prepare for a show, no matter how bonkers it was, was not a problem for me. I trained for my first bodybuilding show getting up at 4 a.m. to train before work, work the full day as an accountant, and either personal train clients at night or go to class while earning my master's degree. The consistency of this protocol didn't bother me since, as mentioned, hard, hard work ethic was a part of life for me from a young age. But here's the thing. I think you know now from the stories I've shared that I understand work ethic. But when I first started competing, I never anticipated the emotional effects of the post-show experience after a bodybuilding show. Training was the easy part for me. My first shows were 20 years ago, so information wasn't as readily available as it is now. No one talked about what happened post-show anywhere. I just assumed my post-show struggles were me being a wimp. After dialing in for my first show, I was so proud of what I had created. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that I could build a physique with eight-pack abs. I never thought I would win bodybuilding titles or best poser awards. I didn't even know they existed. The drive to be the best for that goal drove me day in and day out. But when the show came, the day went by with a flash and I showed back up to work on Monday in corporate America where nobody has a clue what I did this past weekend in my two-piece suit with a top the size of two Doritos. By the way, the competition tops have come a long way. The Dorito top was before the fancy suits of today with glitter and glam. Anyways, as I was saying, after the show, everyone in the office thinks I can eat normal now since they believe the food I was eating was unhealthy. But let's not talk about what they eat, right? Now, that would be shaming people. Same with friends and family. Post-show, they think I'm done with this thing, and they all want to get together and eat and drink and be merry. Meanwhile, there is me, who just spent months focusing on this one thing that drove me to get the work done no matter what I had going on. Here I am trying to process the show and what it means now that it's over, while life goes on around me and no one cares that I just did a show, just that it's over and I can hopefully be back to quote-unquote normal. So now the show is over, the immediate goal is over, and at that time there was no catchphrases like reverse dieting, flexible dieting ideas, or even any real healthy approaches to nutrition at all. It was the traditional bodybuilding diet that was full of bland foods and strict protocols. You were either on or you were off plan. There was no in-between. I didn't develop the best relationship with food out the gate because of this. For my first set of shows, I, I didn't understand that chicken didn't have to be bland to eat it. I didn't have to eat white fish to get lean, blah, or be afraid that off-plan meals would kill my physique. That took years to learn. And doing a show for fun one day to see that it was, in fact, possible to do all of that. I mean, bro science protocols still do exist today, even with all the information out there. But for many people, the real issue post-competition is something even deeper. It's something you might hear called post-show blues. Post-show blues is when you fall into a depression after a show. You just spent months working towards this one thing, and now the thing is over. You saw your body change in ways you never thought possible. You finally like the way you look. In fact, you love the way you look. The fat in that one place that drives you nuts is finally gone. Guys, you have the six-pack abs you always wanted. But now the show is over and there's nothing to look forward to, work towards, or motivate you. And you also have to accept that the physique you worked so hard for and love is about to soften under a layer of body fat. 
Seeing your body put on body fat and go in the reverse direction can kill your motivation if you let it. I've seen people gain 30 pounds post-show after falling into a depression. And, and these aren't people that are on PEDs. This is just from nutrition diet. As Jamie mentioned on the last episode, talking about PEDs, that there are cause and effect with certain things like um, estrogen blockers that can make you gain weight post-show as the estrogen uh, changes go on in your body. But I'm talking specifically 30-pound weight gains from just food. And, well, I had my, my share post-show blues during the first decade of competing, but it wasn't due to a lack of work ethic or PEDs. I've, I've never taken them, which is why I had that awesome interview in episode seven to educate the masses on them from someone who I consider is an expert on them. By the way, go listen to that episode if you haven't. Jamie really delivered. We talk about everything. So again, I had my share of post-show blues during my first decade of competing, so I know what it's like. I remember one time, I was up 10 pounds in a week after a show. This particular show was a struggle to, to get to in the first place. I, I had spent an entire year prepping and building muscle because I wanted to win a pro title. About eight weeks before the show, I tore my hamstring while sprinting on a track. Luckily, it wasn't completely torn off the bone, so I didn't need surgery, but I still had eight weeks to get to my show, and I wasn't going to pull out for a muscle tear. The orthopedic provided me some exercises to do on my own, so I opted to skip physical therapy and just to keep going. Ugh, it hurt to sit on hard surfaces. surfaces. I, I could feel a tugging sensation when I walked, too. It, it took me like 11 minutes of warm-up to get enough adrenaline pumping through my veins to overshadow the pain in my hamstring to do my track workouts. I remember the agony turning the corner on the track while still trying to sprint my way to the show. Why I needed sprints, I don't know, but... I should have done something else, but in my mind, I needed that thing to get to the show, and I had eight weeks. I remember talking with myself and saying that I would take care of myself after the show. I promised myself I would, and I just needed a, a little longer to get to the show. My body was tired. I had worked the past year through agonizing shin splints and inflamed disc in my lower back, and now a torn hamstring, too. I told myself I only had eight weeks, and I would get there. I even had a line of tank tops made with the phrase kill it with drive on them for those who were supporting me on my journey to the stage. I sold them to people all over the world, and many of them wore the shirts on my show day to show their support. This show meant a lot to me. I had come in runner-up the year before, runner-up in the world, so I felt that with a year of improvements, I might have a chance at the title. I did put on some size in all the right places, and I would say to this day, despite injuries, I built my best physique for any show. And then the show came. The promoter requires us to use their official tanner and says that they want to keep a more mainstream look for the photos and marketing of the show, so they didn't want any dark tans on stage. We were given two coats of tan each. But here's the problem. My skin is very fair, so two coats of tanner on me will make me look like I spent the summer at the beach. Whereas on someone else with a naturally darker base, it makes them look like they have a competition tan on. Sure enough, my tan was too light, and you couldn't see much of my hard work on stage. I was drowned out by the lights. After prejudging, the feedback from the head judge was that my tan was too light, and I didn't look lean enough. I'm like, well, really? No kidding. But unfortunately, it was too late. They already scored us. Needless to say, I didn't win the show, or even place top five. An entire year of prep got thrown down the drain. I was physically and emotionally drained. My leg hurt, and I didn't like the vibe of the Federation anymore, so I was at a loss on what to do next. I ate and drank a lot 
of off-plan foods and drinks immediately after that show with friends as a distraction. I definitely started to fall into a post-show depression until I found a new goal to inspire me. With a goal, I'm laser-focused and leave no stone unturned in the process. If an expert suggests to me a protocol that is going to make me the best, I will follow it. If I'm told to follow a program in the off-season that will give me a competitive edge at my next show, I follow the program. I don't complain. I figure out the cost and I do the work. I also experienced many nutrition and training protocols that contributed to a difficult post-show experience. They were extreme, but I did them anyways because my goal was greater than my immediate suffering and I wasn't thinking about post-show. If I needed to eat this thing to be the best, I would say pass it over. I can remember eating bites of bland codfish and using water to make it go down like a shot just to get it down. I toss a piece in my mouth, take a swig of water, and get it down quick before my taste buds fired that horrible flavor. Anything to avoid the taste of what would happen if the smell of dirt and worms had a flavor. And then there was another show prep that had me eating only white fish and spinach or broccoli six times a day. No fruit. I don't even think I had fat either. I remember, and this is gross, you guys, but it's real, so I'll say it anyways. I remember not being able to control my bowels from leaking throughout the day. I was literally leaking poop during the day for the final weeks of prep, and there was no way to stop it. I had to throw out, throw out a lot of underwear. I know it's gross, but it's true. So as you can imagine, post-show was a challenge after these competitions too, until I had a new goal to inspire me. Then this one show happened, this one show prep. I was prescribed to do double sessions of HIIT cardio, plus one-hour workouts, one-hour, 15-minute workouts, two days in a row. Okay, it doesn't sound hard, but how about doing it while fasted, the entire day for both days, while I was torpedoing into a show? This didn't break me either, and I followed it to a T. Yes, this did happen, and yes, I did this with a coach who wanted to test a protocol because I was behind schedule for a show. Oh, my God. I remember the hunger pains waking me up in the middle of the night during this protocol. I have never felt hunger hurt like that before. But I was changing federations, so I needed to earn another pro card. And in case you didn't realize, if you earn a pro card in one federation, unless the federation specifically states they will accept the pro status of another federation, you are expected to start from the bottom up and earn your pro status again in the new federation. For me, I had already been a pro multiple times and had to start over every time. I was yet again starting over to earn pro status, so I did the work to leave no stone unturned. I did get the pro card, but you would think I would fall apart after the show based on that protocol and go on a complete bender, right? Double sessions of cardio plus full workouts two days in a row with zero food both days. But you know what? I didn't. This was a pivot point for me. Why? Well, I had a new major goal before the Monday after the show came around. It sounds so simple, but really, it all starts with the goal. Why a post-show plan with a big goal is so critical. Think about it. You just spent months preparing for a show, getting your body fat levels down to a level that for most of us is uncomfortable. Your body's stress level is through the roof. What you do those first few weeks dialing out of a show will set the stage for your entire off-season. I learned that lesson the hard way. I also learned from it too to not eat like an asshole after a show. But the greatest post-show, okay, the greatest lesson post-show was having a new goal right away. For me, this meant having a specific body part to focus on that I wanted to bring up. I made a mindset shift and created a mini obsession in my mind with this body part to grow it. 
No matter what, I did the work. As things progressed, I switched to a new physique goal. Each goal was always super specific, and the specifics of it drove me to do the work. There was no need to look for comfort foods and distractions to fill a void. For you, your goal might be a new show that you picked out already, and you might have specific improvements you want to make and focus on while preparing for it. Some other goals are you could have a photo shoot booked a month out, a month post-show. You might want to grow your fitness business and be motivated by the idea that more food post-show means more energy to get the build out of the business done. You might also want to look fit and healthy for your new business too and let that keep your post-show protocol in check. You might want to lead by example for your kids and show them what a healthy relationship with food looks like and not fall apart in front of them. It could be anything, but the goal has to be great. If you are competing or planning to compete like me, you will do the work. For me, I've, I've done some extreme things in order to accomplish my goals, probably because I have a strong foundation of hard work ethic and athletics from my youth. But emotionally, emotionally post-show isn't about a lack of work ethic. It's about a lack of having something grand to work towards. Many struggle post-show because there is nothing to work for that is greater than the emotional withdrawals they are feeling at the end of the ride. If it's a mediocre goal, your focus will go on the glass half-empty half and you'll think about all the drawbacks of post-show. It can be a small goal, like my example of picking a body part to obsess over, or it can be something posing-related that you want to fix now that you have the time to do it. But if you believe it to be grand, you will work for it. If it's a grander goal, you will show up to work and you'll never fail. Hey guys, I talked a lot about post-show and my personal encounters with post-show struggles and when I didn't have a goal or something to motivate me, but I do have something for you that you can use to help you with a post-show goal. Or if you have your post-show somewhat in check but are looking for something new to improve, I have something new that you can follow that will help you gain a competitive edge. It's so sick and so fun too. As you know, I judge and head judge for bodybuilding competitions, so I also factored in things missing with posing and stage presence from a judge's perspective, in addition to an athlete and coach's perspective. Things that will really fill in the gaps for all things show day. So go to posingwinsshows.com and check out more on what I've got for you. I'm super excited to share this with you, and I really think it's something every athlete, male and female, in all divisions will benefit from. It makes a great gift, too. Awesome, guys. See you on the next episode. If you can rate and subscribe about this podcast, that would be awesome. You want to keep telling iTunes that this is worth something. See you guys soon. What are the things you need to know before competing in a bodybuilding competition? The Everything Else in Bodybuilding podcast is dedicated to taking out the guesswork in the industry and exposing all these strategies. Learn five things I think you should know before your next show by downloading your free ebook called Five Tips Every Competitor Needs to Know Before Your Next Competition at www.eeinbb.com. It's all the no-nonsense information you need, whether you are male or female, bodybuilder, physique, figure, bikini, or wellness competitor. It's free, so just go download my five tips every competitor needs to know before your next show at eeandbb.com.